And so we're continuing our message this week, the series on shameless life, shameless life. And it's amazing how uh, shame can kind of creep into your life and affect your whole demeanor. And if it affects your whole demeanor, thank you, if it affects your whole demeanor, then it actually affects uh, the way you live your life and the decisions that you make and the way you see yourself. But Jesus came to set us free from shame. He was not content or satisfied with us living in shame uh, for one more day. So he came to set us free from, uh, from shame itself. We see in Genesis chapter 1, uh, probably the first example of shame that's recorded in the Word of God. But before we uh, get right into the Word of God, I want to pray with you. And uh, we want to turn our hearts to the Lord because He is the teacher of all teachers. He is the revealer of all revelation. Uh, revelation knowledge is still available today. And He will give you revelation knowledge if you just look and ask. Uh, the Bible says that you have not because you ask not or because if you ask you ask for with wrong motives right so uh, we ask with right motives that he would open our eyes even like Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus let's just start out today let's pray that prayer in Ephesians chapter 1 Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for the power of your spirit. We thank you for the anointing of your spirit. Father, we thank you that those who will yield to you and allow you to flow through them will do mighty works and mighty things will happen. Father, we thank you and we ask you, uh, just like Paul prayed for the church, the people, uh, the gathering at Ephesus, Father, uh, the assembly of believers at Ephesus, that you would give unto us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, the eyes of our understanding or the eyes of our spirit, that they would be enlightened, flooded with light, something that only you could do, that you would open up and reveal even who we are in Christ and who you've made us to be and the mighty power, the working and the exertion of your mighty power, which you worked in Christ when you raised him from the dead. Father, that we would become acquainted with that power, that we'd work with that power, that we'd allow that power not only to affect us, but to flow through us and to affect the lives of those around us, the lives of those who do not know and who have not heard. Father, that there would be, it would be, even has been prophesied, oh, by mighty men and mighty women who have gone before us, that this day and this day and this hour and this age and in this season, that the mighty army of believers that we even see rising up on the left hand and on the right hand, oh, Father, those that who do know you and do know uh, the authority that you've given to believers in the earth, the position that you've caused us to stand in to fulfill, Father, that even those young and old, from the youngest to the oldest, would rise up in that that power and that anointing and allow your presence and your power and your spirit to flow through and your words to be spoken and to fall off of the lips of those believers, Father, that do know their God. Father, walking on the earth and walking in places where we've not been and where we've not known, maybe where your name has not even been named, even as Paul who went before. Father, that those places will see the righteousness uh, and the righteous arise, and those places will see and know the deliverance of your kingdom and of your family and of your son, the deliverance that is in him. Father, we pray for this spirit of wisdom and revelation, even seeing and knowing to flow in your body in a greater measure than what's ever happened, that even the works 
that you've done in the Old Covenant and the New Covenant and those that have been prophesied even beyond that, a multiplication of the same, Father, that those in, the, in these days, that those come to pass, that the, 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 those in your kingdom and your family, that the light that shines through us, Father, shines brighter and brighter and stronger and stronger and clearer and clearer. Father, that even in the darkness, that the darkness of the world that seems to overtake, that the light is even brighter and shines stronger and is more freedom, even that those that turn their hearts and come into your kingdom. Father, we pray that the gospel would be preached uh, from every church, from every lampstand around the world. Father, that the lampstands would not be covered like a, like a great covering put over, but like a great release, uh, like fire burned away the blanket above those, Father, that there be like fire from heaven falling upon every church that names the name of Jesus and comes by the blood of the Lamb. Father, we thank you for a great awakening. Oh, like a, like, a, like a great giant opening its eyes and awaking from its slumber that the church would arise in this day as never before. Father, we thank you for the power of your word and the power that you have invested into your body, the church. Father, every member supplying, every joint supplying. Father, we thank you for the great supply that you have invested into your church. Oh, Father, we thank you for it. And we thank you for your word. And we thank you for your spirit that as we turn to you today, that we have come together to meet with you and to hear from you and to get direction from you and to be a, a more acquainted and nearer to you. Oh, more conscious of your presence. Father, that in you we live and move and breathe and have our being. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, we're going to probably hone in today on John chapter 8. John chapter 8 as we continue uh, this message on the shameless life. Shameless life. That doesn't mean, by the way, that you just do whatever you want and have no shame. I'm talking about that you live a life free from shame. That shame no longer has the power to dominate you because you have found out the truth. And that truth has set you free. And that truth has made you free. Glory to God. You shall know the truth, Jesus said in John chapter 8, if you continue in my word. And the truth will set you free or make you free. But I want to look real quick. Um, at the beginning of John chapter 8, we'll probably actually go through most of the chapter today. In John chapter 8, uh, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning, verse 2, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and they sat down, and he taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had sat her in the midst, or in other words, they sat her uh, in the midst, Jesus' teaching, the Pharisees found this woman uh, taken in adultery and brought her in and set her in the midst of them. Uh, really, uh, I think they made her stand. And uh, they sat, said to him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery the very act. That means they caught her while she's having sex with a man that was not her husband. Okay? Like, actually having sex, they caught her. And they're like, uh, they are trying to shame her in front of all of the people. 
And uh, one of the reasons that people shame other people is they themselves have shame that they're trying to cover up and they're just pushing it off on other people. And so they didn't feel satisfied about their own works of self-righteousness. Really, if you step out to work works of self-righteousness, it's actually a pathway and a doorway to shame because you, you apart from the Lord, cannot be righteous. You cannot do enough good things. You'll always make a mistake and you'll always fail uh, no matter how good you think you are. In fact, the gooder you think you are, and I said it that way on purpose, but the gooder you think you are, the more uh, you'll be conscious of the mistakes that you're making and the more you'll open the door to shame. The only way to be free from shame is to receive the righteousness that only comes from God through Jesus Christ. And if we receive that kind of righteousness, that kind of righteousness has been tested in hell itself. That kind of righteousness is actually the very righteousness of God in Christ. We get God's own righteousness. And as much ability as God has to live righteously and to do the right thing and to have the right attitude and to have the right thoughts, that's the kind of righteousness that we receive when we become united with Christ because when you're united with Christ, it's not possible that His life could not flow into you. Uh, it's just possible that it wouldn't flow through you because what happens? You have authority over your own self. You have dominion over your own self and you can put a stop to the blessing and the flow of God in your own life. But if you don't put a stop to the blessing and the flow of God, you will find out that you will be blessed beyond measure because the blessing that comes from heaven has been inserted into your life, into your spirit or your heart, and that blessing inserted into your spirit and your heart, when it's allowed to flow, uh, you will partake of the blessing, but that blessing, you'll be a blessing to all of mankind. You'll be a blessing to the world, that you're not trying to help people so you can feel better about yourself. You're not trying to tell people what the Word says so you can say, hey, I know more than you. Listen to what I have to say. No, you can say, you know what? Uh, you know, I've messed up in my life. I've made mistakes, but there is one. There is one man, and his name is Jesus, and when I met him, when I met him in the depths of my uh, sin, when I met him at the heights of my self-righteousness, this changed my life forever. And no longer do I have to try to perform or be so conscious of my failings or so conscious of what I think I have done on my own so that I'm so thankful for myself. Now I'm so thankful for Jesus. When I found out about him, when I found out what he did, uh, this, this really is the key to life. This really is the key into the presence of God. This really is the key uh, to um, the very peace of God. When you find out it is all about Jesus and it's none about you, you are set free. You don't, you don't any longer have to try to get people to like you. I don't really care whether you like me or not. What I care about, does he like me? And I know he likes me. Does he love me? And I know he loves me. In fact, Jesus said in John chapter 17, Father, I want them that come after this. I want praying for them and I want them to know that you love them with the same love and the same way that you love me. In other words, God does not love Jesus any more than he loves you. And when God loves someone, boy, you better look out. This is earth-shaking love. This is universe-shattering love. This love will get through any hindrance and anything the devil could try to throw at you. This love cannot be defeated and has never known defeat. This kind of love will actually um, 
punch through even what your parents did to you as a little child, even what your friends did to you, even what your, your former husband or your former wife, maybe you've been through a difficult time, maybe you've been through divorce, and this person, uh, has, has, uh, maybe they acted right, maybe they acted wrong. Uh, but whatever the action happened, somehow the enemy got a foothold in your life through this offense that happened and this kind of love and this kind of righteousness will deliver you from that. It'll snap that thing in half so no longer you'll look back and laugh and you'll, you'll laugh at the bondage that you used to be under and say, it's so good that the Lord has set me free because of the power of the blood of Jesus. The power of the blood of Jesus. Do you know that that blood, you say, well, like in my past, uh, there were some pretty horrible things. I'm ashamed to even talk about them. Uh, I don't want to tell anybody. In fact, I haven't told anybody the depths of what happened to me or the things that touched me, uh, and it touched me to my core, and it tried to affect me to my core. But you know, the blood of Jesus, in Hebrews we learn that the blood of Jesus has so much power that it can even remove the consciousness of those things from you. That you may have a picture that the devil brings up and right now if you think about that picture and you think back on that time and you think about uh, what happened to you or what you did to someone else, maybe you think back on that and you see that picture and that it, it, the, those things come rushing back like a mighty river overwhelming and flooding you and every direction. But you know what? When you take the blood of Jesus and you apply the blood to that, that blood has such cleansing and removing power that the power of those things is gone that now when the devil tries to bring the image of that or if the memory of that thing comes back, it's like Isaiah said, it is a powerless ghost. In other words, it's got a form and a shape, but it has no power. Uh, it can't affect you. It can't touch you because you know that the blood of Jesus has removed the consciousness from that activity or that event from your life. You no longer let it have that place. So don't embrace it like a friend, but you resist it like an enemy that it is. And you say, I'm not letting you close to me. I'm not letting you near to me. You will, you know, you ever watch this? I, you know, I'm not a big movie person necessarily. And the movies are not bad as long as they're not bad movies. But let me tell you, uh, 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 tomorrow we, my wife and I will mark 18 years of marriage. Christ-centered marriage, and thank God it's Christ-centered, because otherwise I'd be horrible to be married to, let me tell you. Okay, so um, tomorrow's our anniversary, and when I first met my wife, uh, in fact, I went up at, uh, I used to work for, um, indirectly for an airline, and so I had, uh, I got basically almost free flights, you know, so um, after I had met her and decided like, whoa, this is, the, this is the woman for me, the Lord dropped her in my heart, and I'm like, well, yeah, thank you, Lord, and so I uh, dropped her in my life, dropped her in my heart. And, uh, you know, shout out to Teresa Hurd, who uh, still works at Rama after, I don't know, 20 years or something like that. But she pointed Melody out to me and said, let's interview her. And I said, yes, ma'am, that is the woman we need to interview. All right, that's a little bit of our story, but I don't need to go into that. And so, uh, bless you, Teresa, we love you. And so, uh, way to be led by the Lord. Okay. Uh, and so, anyhow, I would fly up. So I flew up the first time uh, to see her family, meet her family. Woo, was I in for a change. Okay, and so I flew up to meet her family. And uh, when I did, uh, this series called, uh, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings was at the theaters. And I didn't know. I'm like, I don't know if that's even a godly movie or whatever, you know. Anyhow, and so uh, uh, we go then every year for the next three years. I guess they released another one and see so we go see. Anyhow, the whole point I'm saying that is... Uh, 
I don't remember what it was. Was it the ring or something? It was like my precious, you know, so it was like, oh, this is precious, you know, my precious, my precious. Okay, well, so all movies based on these rings. Okay, anyhow. So sometimes our past hurts can become something that's going to sound weird, but so precious to us because we have, we were so deeply impacted by what happened to us that it's become a coping or a defense mechanism. So we're like, we, we have this, this, this uh, hurt that happened that we don't want to release because, uh, number one, we were hurt so deeply, we're afraid to release it. We're afraid what would happen because we thought we were in a trusting environment when it happened, right? Um, but if you don't release this precious thing, uh, you can't get what's so much better, which is the freedom that comes in Christ. And that freedom from that thing, like, like the devil is a master of deception. And so he'll put a cloud over the lens that you view your life through, and you'll have to view everything through that cloud. And man, once that cloud um, disappears you can see so much more clearly. You can make the right decisions for yourself. You don't just have to be uh, wondering if this is the right way. And so the devil puts this cloud out to try to mask his true intentions. And the Bible really tells us that uh, that cloud, that even Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. And so it seems like, well, well, this is good. So it's good that you had this thing, and you, you not that you had it, but you keep it in this place, and you don't ever uh, mess with it, uh, because if you do, it's just going to destroy you. No, what you do is you take it and you give it to Jesus. And you say, you know what? I forgive them for what they did to me, or I forgive myself for the bad decisions I made, what I did to someone else. And you turn it over to the Lord, and, and you give it to him. Now, if you've done that, you don't really need to go back in your past and draw it up. Some people have developed entire ministries based on, like, going to the past and drawing stuff up. Well, uh, you know, if you need to forgive someone and you haven't forgiven them, well, yeah, you need to forgive them. And uh, if you had something happen to you and you've never uh, let Jesus love you out of it, well, you need to let him love you out of it. But you don't need to go back and, like, be like, uh, you know, let me explain the 21 irrefutable laws of defeat I went through, right? And so uh, you just take and you receive the love of God. Perfect love casts out all fear, First John 4. Perfect love uh, casts out all fear. Um, he that fears is not made perfect in love. So if that thing is like a fear and something that you, you, you're, you're even afraid to look at, uh, you need to recognize that maybe I haven't received the perfect love of God. doesn't mean it hasn't been poured into you if you're a believer, but you haven't opened yourself to it, right? So I can have a million dollars, you know, say in the bank, but if I don't open myself to the fact that I have it, I'm never going to go take a withdrawal and use any of that money, and I could, I could uh, you know, die hungry or something if I needed money, but yet I had a million dollars in the bank. And so just because I, uh, it belongs to me doesn't mean that it is in a form where I can utilize it, right? So I'll have this million dollars in the bank. That's a good confession, isn't it? We should all say that. I have this million dollars in the bank. You know. <laughs> so I have this million dollars in the bank, yet I'm kind of suffering through 
Uh, maybe uh, you live in a hot area and you don't have air conditioner, but you have a million dollars in the bank. So you're like going through life and you're sweating all the time when you could be like not sweating and kind of comfortable with some air conditioning. And, um, but you got this million dollars in the bank, but unless you take a withdrawal from that, it's not really going to affect your everyday experience. And so what happens is you have this uh, thing that's worth more than any amount of money. And it's called the love of God. Yet if you don't put a withdrawal on that love that actually belongs to you, well, you're going to go through life full of fear and tormented. And these, sometimes these things of the past, uh, they can be very tormenting. And so Jesus came to set us free from that. And he said, if you continue in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free or set you free. And so we find out here in John chapter 8 uh, that this woman was taken in the very act of adultery. And they're trying to shame her because they themselves may have this kind of shame on themselves or they're just so conscious that no matter what I do, I seem to not be able to measure up. Well, self-righteousness will always open the door to that kind of shame and that you'll have that opportunity. And somebody said, well, I, well, I, I, I don't have shame because, you know, I'm not depressed and, you know, walking around. Let's see if I can do this. I'm moping around like this. <laughs> Oh, everybody's always kicking me to the curb. And I don't know. They always choose me last for the team. And I don't know. You know, that's one uh, evidence of shame. But, you know, another evidence of shame is uh, um, kind of domineering people and dominating people because you're so conscious of a shame that you haven't ever dealt with in your life that you have to put up such a false front so that no one knows that you're not perfect. No, we, we, Okay, so, but you think no one knows it, right? And so, um, you know, so shame will kind of like drive you in two ways. In fact, um, they say, uh, psychologists say that uh, the greatest or strongest reaction to shame is narcissism. Uh, because you, you just kind of like, you have to inflate your view of yourself in order to cope with the feelings of shame that you have, in order for, to process it, uh, because you can't handle processing it the other way. Maybe you commit suicide, you do it the other way, but you do it this way, you're like, well, you know, I'm too good to have that problem. I'm too good to da-da-da-da, you know. And so the shame can go either way. So that's where you find the Pharisees, really. And the Pharisees are like, you know, uh, I don't know who this man is, Jesus, but uh, we're so much better than him. I think he's from the devil. Yeah, that's it. He's from the devil. And, uh, you know, I see he's doing the works of the devil. When all the time, Jesus said in John chapter 8, which we'll read in a second, you are of your father the devil and his works you will do. So you find out that the Pharisees are very narcissistic. So the Pharisees are actually doing the works of the devil, but they project it onto Jesus. And they're like, Jesus, uh, the only way you're casting out those devils is because you're a devil. You know, which of course makes absolutely no sense, but you know, welcome to Narcissism 101. So, uh, John chapter 8, uh, we'll continue. So, the woman, the woman taken in the very act of adultery, and the Pharisees, the self-righteous people of the day, who felt like they were God's chosen people because of what they had done, because of their acts, that they deemed righteous enough or right enough or, okay, I'm going to say this is how it's supposed to be done, yet all the while not consulting God, right? Because God will tell you, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, 
right? And my way is the way of faith, which is the way of rest. The Word of God tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, stop trying to do it in your own power. Do it by looking to the Lord or an act of faith. In other words, they that believe, or believing is acting in faith. So they that believe have entered into rest. I love the Word. So let me tell you why. Uh, well, just because it's good, right? It's from the Lord. But let me tell you why. I think of that verse. They that believe, do believe, have entered into rest. What happens? Well, you know, if you're not resting, if you haven't like, whew, like got a sigh of relief in your walk with God, you're not living by faith. If you're, you think you're living by faith, you're like, this is really difficult. This is really tough. Uh, uh, you know, I, ooh, I just like, what, what do you call it? Um, uh, you know, like you've got the, say you got a lawnmower, and this lawnmower is like missing, you know. And that doesn't mean somebody stole the lawnmower, but what it means is like the engine is not maybe hitting on all cylinders, so it'll go, right? So it's missing. It's not functioning as it's designed. And so uh, if you have this situation, uh, uh, you find out you're not resting. Because you're kind of nervous the whole time you're mowing, like, you know, mine was like, uh, uh, what do you call it? I guess missing, but it wasn't technically missing. I think it's being starved of fuel a little bit. When I would put a load under it, meaning uh, it's pulling because it's going up a hill and it's, the blades are spinning, and so it's got extra load, uh, extra draw on it. And so I'm going up this hill, and I'll tell you what, when it was doing it, uh, I was like, I kind of grip the steering wheel a little tighter, and I, it's a pretty steep hill, and I get the brakes ready in case the thing totally dies, and it goes, and then I'd quick turn off the mower deck, no mower deck, and then all of a sudden, and, start, and I make it up the hill, right? Well, let me tell you, it is not relaxing to mow the lawn that way, and I like to mow the lawn. I'm like, ah, I don't know if I'm making up this hill. Well, if you're trying to live by faith and that's the way it seems, you're not, right? You have not entered into rest. So you enter into rest, it's like you got this diesel lawnmower and you just turn the thing on and, and it, right? And you just you go up the hill. Like when I bought this uh, diesel pickup truck for the church, you know, we bought, Melanie and I bought it as a family, but we bought it to tow the church trailer about three or four years ago. And we bought that thing. Evie and I flew out to California and we got in that thing and, uh, you know, we're there, but we didn't have a lot of time because it's a long way, 3,000 miles to drive. And so um, <laughs> we had to get back before Sunday. And so um, we're driving and we went to see the um, sequoia trees. And so uh, we went to see the sequoia trees. You kind of have to go up into the mountains over there. And so we're going up into the mountains. It's my first diesel pickup I ever had. It's a, you know, it's a, a Chevy 2500. I think it's a 6.6 liter diesel Duramax. And so we got in there. And maybe you've helped me tell this story before, but it's, it's so good to repeat it. And so I get in there and I, and I, I, you know, the thing is like idling going up the mountain. And then, you know, you give it just a little accelerator power. That thing just like, give me this mountain, right? And so... Uh, I'm driving it at rest. Like, I don't have to hardly do anything. And, you know, kind of laughing up the whole way because you're like, I've never had this much power, you know, <laughs> driving up a mountain. It's amazing. And so they that believe, they that, uh, actually it says, they that do believe, 
In other words, you're doing the action of belief, which is, which is the action of faith, have entered into rest. And so uh, you have ceased from their labors, enter into rest. And he, then he gives the example of, um, you know, entering into the rest of God, that God himself rested uh, after six days. He created the heavens, the earth, and mankind, and then he rested, and that we're to enter into that same kind of rest, and we're not to make the same mistake that the Hebrew children made, where they refused to enter into his rest. And why did they refuse? Well, we're going to do it ourselves. We're going to make it happen ourselves. We want the self-gratification, and that's, the, that's where sometimes we find ourselves, because we want to be proud of what we have done. Right? Instead of conscious and thankful for what God has done. You could almost, uh, you could almost if you want to have a gauge, speaking of like, um, I hope, hope Dave loves this message because eh, I'm talking about mechanical stuff. So you could almost have a gauge on your life to measure how much faith you're living in. And that gauge, like, uh, you know, if it's a needle gauge, the old kind of gauges. And so that gauge would have written right here in the middle where you could see it, you know, like right here. So, whoo, so this right here, this would say thankfulness, right? Thankfulness. Why is that? Because if you realize who God is and what he has done, you will be so thankful. And if you realize that, that is actually an act of faith. In other words, Lord, I'm trusting you. Like, like if I'm trying to produce this, I'm trying to, see, see, I'm in full-time ministry, so I'm trying to produce something in full-time ministry. I'm trying to get people to like me or get people to do this. Well, then I'm going to be so conscious. I'm actually become more conscious of other people. And I shouldn't just equate it to ministry. You could do any area of life. Let's just say, like, you like people, you want people to like you. Well, that's pretty much every human being, I hope, you know. Um, and so, uh, you know, but you try to produce it. And so how you try to produce it is you're like, Oh, well, they like me if I do this, and they like me if I do this, and they like me if I do this. But that's not the way of, of faith or trusting God. The way of faith or trusting God is God has made you uh, in the most intricate parts of who you are, even of your personality. Now, the devil and experience sometime has warped that God-given personality so that it's not even recognizable as a God-given personality, but God created you the real you that goes beyond just skin deep, the real person that you are, he has created you in righteousness and holiness of truth. And you have a God-given purpose and God loves you. And when you recognize, wait a minute, he loves me. I don't have to perform for person A or person B or person Z. I am a servant of God and he loves me. And when I, uh, if I, or when I make a mistake, He's there to pick me up. And he already, before I made the mistake, he provided a way of escape for me. When the devil even tempted me, the Bible says, he provides a way of escape. When I fall to the temptation and make the mistake, he provides a way for me to get up and he'll brush me off and cleanse me, pure and holy, if I just confess my sins. Uh, you know, 1 John 1, 9. 
So 1 John 1, 1.9, some people, some people want to say, well, 1 John 1.9 is not written to the church. Well, no, 1 John 1.9 is written to the church. It's not written to non-believers. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you know how much power there is in that verse? And, and don't let the devil masquerade, cloud up your vision like an angel of light. Well, if you're born again, you don't need to confess your sins. If you make a mistake, you know, he's already forgiven your sins, past, present, and future. Well, he has. But the Bible still tells us, um, you know, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is such power in the confession of your sins. Why is that? Well, because of what we're talking about right here. If I'm full of shame and my, my, um, my reaction to that shame is to cover it up like I never do anything wrong, everybody just look at the other person who does stuff wrong, you know, I'm going to live under the weight of trying to perform the rest of my life. But Jesus set me free from uh, having to perform. He set me into the rest of faith that I, oh, he already did it all. He took care of all that. I don't have to try to be like the most holy person. I don't have to try to be the most righteous person because the most holy and the most righteous person was that, is that, and said, I'm giving it to you so that you don't have to try to produce it because you can't produce it on your own. It is produced by being reborn with a righteous nature and with a holy nature. And that's what happens when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. You are reborn with a brand new nature. Now your nature is not to do these things things, right? But sometimes people are reborn with this new nature. And if you want to study this, read the book of Galatians. They're reborn with a new nature, but they go back and try to produce that nature the old way, which is through what I can do or how perfect I can be or how much work and effort I can put into it to produce that uh, rapport with God so that I, I worked hard at it, that I read so much of the word every day and I pray so much every day that God really likes me more than other people. That is self-righteous and that is not biblical. However, when you realize this, the thankfulness that is produced actually produces your, you, you already have in you the desire to re live right and the more clearly you see what God has done in Christ the more you're um, drawn and pulled to live right. So the grace of God is not actually a license to sin. The grace of God and the love of God and the mercy of God actually lead you, the Bible says, to repentance, which is thinking about the direction of your life and changing course towards God. So the, it's the goodness of God that leads you to that. And so if you begin to see these good things, some people get really worried. Well, if you tell people how good God is and he's already taken care of their sins and he's done all this type of stuff, uh, then they're just going to like uh, flesh out in sin. Uh, no, not someone who is acting in faith because you understand uh, a little bit, a glimpse maybe, of what God has done for you in Christ. And if you understand the depths from where you came, this is why 1 John 1.9 is so important to the believer. If we confess our sins, because if you read in 1 John right there uh, in chapter 1, you find out if we say 
that we have no sin, we are a liar. This is talking to believers, right? And the truth is not in us. And so if we do that, we are deceiving really our own selves. And so, but when I confess my sins, I'm like, if I miss it, then I'm like, oh, Father God, forgive me. I messed up. I sinned. It was wrong. And then whoever I've uh, sinned against, I ask them to forgive me. He is faithful. In other words, he is always there, always constant, never changing, uh, always believing in me, and just. He'll do the right thing. And the right thing is, I've been made right with him through Jesus Christ, so all of that is cleansed and wiped away. But what I become is I become thankful because I recognize I'm actually not perfect. But if I say, no, I don't have sin. No, I don't need to confess my sins. I'm a believer. Uh, I never mess up. Come on. Like I said, you might not recognize it, but everybody around you recognizes it. And this is especially important if you have uh, young children because your job is to uh, train those children in the nurture of the Lord and the admonition of the Lord. And your children, uh, whether you think they know it or not, your children are pretty smart. They're not dumb. And they can kind of tell like, oh, you're living one way here and another way here. Or you say you're not messing up at all. But listen, I have been the uh, receiving end of some of those mess ups. So uh, uh, I think one of the greatest ways to train your children, I think we ministered a little bit last week, is to ask them to forgive you when you mess up. Because it, it actually teaches those kids, you will mess up. And here is the correct response to the mess up is you turn to the Lord and you ask forgiveness. You, you keep yourself under the mighty hand of God. There's protection there. There's provision there. And when you're there, you realize in that confession, whoa, I, I could have easily like um, painted over this, pretended like it wasn't rotten wood, and then just gone on with life. But when the storms of life come and the weight comes down, that rotten foundation is going to cause my whole life to shift in the wrong direction, right? But if I take, and I take that rotten wood out, and I hand it to Jesus, he hands me the perfect replacement, fits right in, and the thing is stable, and the thing uh, can just withstand the storms, withstand the, the heat and the dryness of the sun, withstand the cold weather, and it is solid, like Jesus said, you've got to build your life upon the rock, not upon the sand. And um, my kids, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, they, were, they built this uh, little, little uh, what you call it, a village uh, in the dirt. And they had a water, like a river flowing through it. And so they had, like, built this uh, house upon the rock, and they built a house upon the sand. And... Um, so uh, you can see that it washes away, and they, then they did it with another group of their friends. And so they, um, uh, they, they're illustrating this message that when you build your house upon the rock, which is Christ Jesus, it will stand any storm that the devil could try to come up with. The devil doesn't have that much power. Uh, he makes himself look like he does, and he wants you to think he does. He's actually kind of wimpy. And so, uh, and say so like, well, uh, how do I, why do I say that? Well, I hope I say it because that's what the Word says, right? Because I'm delivering to you the Word of God. But the Word says, actually, when the veil is lifted and we see what the devil really looks like, uh, it'll be like, he's the one? 
that caused nations to tremble? He's the one? Are you serious? Like, I thought he was like this big, massive, like he could do anything. I thought he was God. No. <laughs> That's how it is sometimes to people. We act in the flesh and we're like, you know, man, the Lord, he's just like about this tall. And if he could just, Lord, if you could just do something, because the devil's like this big. Can you see that? I don't know. The devil's like this big. Right? And so we're like, in the natural, when you look after things, you just feel like, you know, the reason is because you need to magnify the Lord. Come on and magnify the Lord with me, uh, Psalm, and let us exalt his name together, right? Because when you magnify the Lord, his size does not change, but your perception of his size changes, and you begin to see, wait a minute, God is bigger than this circumstance. God is bigger than this hurt. God is bigger than this problem. He, and if he's so much bigger than this problem, and he is on my side, whoa, look what's going to happen. In other words, this thing, I'm excited to live by faith. It's quite an adventure because I enter into rest, and now I get to see the power of God and the nature of God show up in the situations that were once thought impossible, but to him that believes that that is impossible has become possible and has become in the realm of reality for the believer. So we live by faith and not by sight, and we walk by faith and not by sight. So our pathway is brighter and brighter and brighter because it, we walk in the light, because the Lord has actually delivered us from all the power of the enemy. And I'm not getting to these verses, praise the Lord but we're going to get there. Okay, so um, Moses said, verse 5, uh, commanded us, the Pharisees said, uh, that she should be stoned. Uh, they said, tempting him, that they might have reason to accuse him. But Jesus, I love this, this is one of my most favorite passages of Scripture. Jesus stooped down, and with his finger on the ground, he wrote, and, you know, it's added here, so you don't really know, but in the King James, they said, as though he heard them not. So he's just like, I can't stoop down because the camera wouldn't follow me, but anyhow, he stooped down and he's just riding on the ground, and they're like, Jesus, you know, this woman was taking the very act of adultery. Uh, like, you know, what, what should be done? And he's writing on the ground, and they're like, Jesus, this woman, did you hear? Like, we caught her doing it. What should be done? And he's writing on the ground. So he says, it says, verse 7, when they continued asking him, he lifted himself up and said, he that is without sin among you, let him throw the first stone. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. <laughs> so he's like, writing, hey, What's, what, should, what should be done, Jesus? You know, she did this. What should be done? You're, you, you claim you know all this stuff. What should be done? What should be done? What should be done? Come on, what should be done? He that's without sin, throw the first stone. Right? He's like, don't interrupt me while I'm writing on the ground. Okay, so verse 9 says, And when they heard it, they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went one by one, beginning at the oldest, even to the last, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. I love it when Jesus speaks, because when he speaks, things get their proper perspective. And you find out that when Jesus sees you in the middle of sin, he'll say, he said, woman, where are your accusers? In other words, woman, 
I want you to look around. All of these shame peddlers are gone at my word. In other words, the entrance of his word gives light. And when his word gains entrance into your life and into your situation, it will silence the voice of the enemy. And it'll, it'll diffuse the ticking time bomb of the enemy's plan for your life. And it'll, 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 it'll blunt it and stop it in its tracks. So all those that were accusing you find out uh, this little speck in your eye is maybe not as significant as the plank in my own. Right? And then he will say to you, listen, more than all these, I know what you did, but I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. That is the message of the gospel. That I may, I'm fully conscious of what you've done. In fact, Romans 3.23, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So he knows what you've done. He knows what you're doing. He just said, I'm not going to condemn you. Go and sin no more. Well, how do you have power to do that? You have power to do that by receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior because you get a new nature. You're like, well, I keep getting tripped up. You feel like maybe Paul in Romans chapter 7. The things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I do. What is wrong with me? Whoa, is me, right? Uh, well, that's because he was not living in the knowledge of who he was in Christ. And as soon as you, if you ever discover who you are in Christ, uh, well, you'll just laugh and dance the rest of your life because you're like, ah, this is awesome. Look what he's done. Look who he's made me to be. And so uh, he said, woman, where are your accusers? Go and sin no more. I'm going to skip over for the sake of time. Verse 28. Then, then, so basically, let me tell you, um, the um, disciple, uh, excuse me, the Pharisees keep going ba uh, back and forth with Jesus. And they're like, well, how do we believe? How do we know you're right? And he said, well, because... I'm telling you I'm right, so therefore I'm right, because I am right, and right is telling you I'm right. And they're like, well, how do we know? He said, well, okay, let's just take your law. According to your law, it takes two uh, witnesses to declare someone is true, so you have my witness coming out of my own mouth, and you have God telling you that I'm right. So therefore, you have two witnesses. That's what you said you need, so here's your two witnesses. But you actually have never known the Father or me, so I don't know why you expect that you understand it. This is my paraphrase, okay? And so, um, verse 28, Then Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know, I am and I do nothing of myself. I skipped those words because they're in italics, which means they're not really there. I am and I do nothing of myself. But as my Father has taught me, I speak these things. And he, sent, he that sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. Skip over to verse 44. Uh, you are of your father, the devil, Jesus talking to the Pharisees, and the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth or didn't live in the truth. Brandon, will you bring me water? Um, because there was no truth in him. When he speaks, I'll just leave it here. 
when he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Literally, he is a giver of false impressions and the father of it. So the enemy wants to give you these false impressions or like cloud up your vision, make you think that things are one way uh, that's not really true, make you think that God loves everyone else but you, God will hear everyone else pray but you. Do you know my prayers have no more power than your prayers as long as my prayers are believing prayers and your prayers are believing prayers, right? And so um, Christ is the great equalizer. The world is like, you know, the devil is like, um, you know, messing with the world, toying with the world. Like if you take a, a cat and you put like a tape on their paws and they're like, I haven't done this since I was a real little kid, so I'm not abusing any cats. I don't even think it's abuse, but anyhow, like I'm messing with the cats, right? Because they take a step and they try to shake it off every step. And anyhow. I had friends that had cats when I was young, and uh, I did that. we did that to their cats. It was the funniest thing. Um, it's just a little uh, scotch tape. It's not going to hurt them. You know, it might help, uh, what do you call that, when you take the hair off? Anyhow, brush them out, you know, so it's good for them. Anyhow, um, the, but the devil is messing with the world, like all this rioting and all of these things. And the answer is not... Um, changing the natural things that are around and all of these things, the answer is the blood of Jesus and identification with Christ. Because I don't care what color or what culture you are, if you realize who you are in Christ and how you got to be that way, the how you got to be that way makes you grateful and thankful and faithful. And the who you are is Christ in the earth. Like that you're, you're right with God, you have rapport with God, so it doesn't matter what these racist people say about me. It doesn't matter what these racist people say about you. I mean, they ought not do it. They need to identify with Christ. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so my greatest identification is not the color of my skin. My greatest identification is my bloodline. And I have the bloodline of a champion whose name is Jesus. And that blood has changed my whole perspective on life and eternity. And because that perspective has changed, uh, I'm not going to be pushed around by the whims of the devil and the thoughts of the devil and the seeds that he wants to plant because I have received the seed of the word into my life and I refuse to submit to the authority of the enemy. I submit to the authority of the king that is above every king of the Lord who is above every Lord, and His name is Jesus. If you have never received Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, or maybe you were part of the family of God and you walked away, you went a different direction, uh, you got entangled, maybe you identified with your job, and, and you, you just said, well, this is who I am, and this is my position, and then that got yanked out from under your feet. You, you, in, a, in a sense, you made that job your God. And you, 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 you uh, walked away from your Lord Jesus and you walked your own path and, and you know in your heart, I, I need to turn back. I need to, I, I need to uh, rethink my life 
and I need to change in the direction of Jesus. Uh, uh, praise the Lord. And so um, maybe that's you. Hallelujah. Let's just worship the Lord for just a second. Father, we love you. Oh, you're so good. Hallelujah. All of your ways are good. Hallelujah. Ha, ha, ha. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray right now for every person that can hear this. Father, no matter where they're at in life, no matter where they're at in their relationship with you, Father, open up right now. Uh, uh, pull back the curtain, so to speak, on the reality of heaven and hell, on the reality of the outcome of their, their, their direction of life. Father, I pray right now. I pray for open hearts to hear what your Spirit's saying. Hallelujah. To receive you and your love in Jesus' name. So if you find yourself in those positions... The answer is not to work harder, and the answer is not to give more, but the answer, except for to give all of yourself to Jesus, but I'm talking about effort. It's not to give more effort. The answer is to turn your life over to someone who has the purest of intentions and who is love. Let yourself actually be loved. Open yourself up to real love. You may have opened yourself up to what a man or a woman said was love uh, in human standards. I'm talking about a love that has no fear and no torment. A love that you can trust, and it is the love of God, and it comes through His Son, Jesus Christ. If you'd like to be born again, the way that you receive Jesus, it is you make a decision from your heart the same way that you would, from your heart, forgive someone who did something wrong to you. The way, like if you have a, a family member, or you maybe have a husband or a wife, a brother, a sister, a son or daughter, a mother or father. And if you had, if they had done something wrong to you, and from your heart you said, I forgive you. That's what we're talking about. This is the place that you make action and receive the Lord Jesus Christ is from your heart. If you want to do that, the Bible is the Word of God. And the Bible or the Word of God will outlast time. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but my words will never pass away. And so these words, these eternal words that I deliver to you are from the Lord. And He said... If you say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In other words, you'll be brought from a place of danger to a place of safety. You'll be brought from a place of death and dying to a place of life and freedom. You'll go from a place of an eternal destination of hell to a place of an eternal destination of heaven. And even here on the earth, your very nature will change and you will be alive from the inside while you live on the earth instead of dead on the inside while you live on the earth. So I'm going to say a prayer. And if you just believe in your heart what I'm saying and then say it with your mouth, repeat after me, 
your, your life will be completely brand new. You'll be what Jesus called born again. So let's, let's pray this prayer. Say, oh God, I'm coming to you in the name of your son, Jesus. I believe that he died on the cross to take away my sins and to make me right with you. Jesus, I take you right now as my Lord and as my Savior. I believe that God raised you from the dead so I could become part of your family. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, you have just been born again. You've got a brand new life. Your slate, your sins have been wiped out and removed. you got a fresh start. And uh, like we said before, if you sin, you have an advocate, you know, with the Father Jesus the righteous. But you now have a new nature, so uh, you're going to be sinning a lot less. And um, <clears throat> you, you have the freedom to live by faith. And living by faith is such a, a life of freedom. If you pray.